right, welcome to the four minute offense uh, inaugural episode, the first real episode. Uh, there's a couple of things that I didn't get to mention last time that I kind of wanted to touch on before we started. First of all, I just want to say thanks to Audionautics for the introduction music. Um, second, in the nature of full disclosure, I just wanted to say I am a Cowboys fan, but I'm going to. I'm pretty unbiased when it comes to giving opinions. I'm gonna if I think a guy's good, I'm gonna tell you that he's good. If I think um, a team is good, then I'm gonna be honest with you. I'm not gonna um, be biased in that way. But uh, in terms of actual game breakdowns, I may go a little bit deeper because I watch those games a little bit more closely. Um, so that's the only way that this will really affect any sort of analysis that I give you on that. And then last, I just wanted to say, I, I know I mentioned that this is this would be an NFL podcast. I'm not really going to talk about college football. don't really watch a lot of it. I watch games when I get the chance, when there's games on at night. I watch the playoff games. I watch some of the bigger bowl games, but not really not really all of them. I don't watch the you know the outback steakhouse um, bowl uh, so. I watch the playoff games, and I'm planning on watching the national championship Monday, but other than that, I'm not really going to talk about much college. Once we get into the offseason, so once the once it's about draft time, what I may do is during slower weeks when there's not a lot of free agency news going on as we're leading up to the draft, what I may do is go on and watch some tape of some of the, some of the bigger name guys, some of the guys that I've heard like mixed reports about, some people like, some people don't, just to kind of get a gauge on what I think of a player just as we're leading up to the draft. So, so now that we've covered that, I want to move into touch I want to touch on a couple of last week's games, the week 17 games. I'm not really going to get too in depth because there really wasn't that much going on. A lot of teams were playing their backups. So I don't want to really spend a whole lot of time on them. Uh, Detroit versus Green Bay was the really big one uh, just because it set up as the game for the NFC North champion and that game ended up being a little bit closer than I expected I thought that Green Bay would end up just blowing them out and they still won by I think it was 10 points um just Rodgers has been on a tear but the Detroit defense is just really terrible they're I'm not sure if if you're not familiar with DVOA it's a metric used by football outsiders to sort of it sort of weights plays more based on importance of the play. Like, if a running back picks up three yards on third and two, then that play would be viewed as more valuable than, like, if a running back picked up three yards on, you know, second and 15. Or if you scored 20 points against, you know, like a great defense like Denver, Seattle, that would be viewed as better than scoring 20 points on, like, a terrible defense. So, Football Outsiders puts together these metrics and they rank the offenses and defenses in terms of um, value over average. So it basically, it's kind of weighting teams' performances based on the competition and situations. So if you look at that, based on their metrics, Detroit's defense is ranked 32nd in the league, dead last, which means they're worse than Cleveland, they're worse than San Francisco, their pass defense is the is dead last and their run defense is 23rd so they're just I mean the defense is atrocious so the fact that I mean you're not 
even with the receivers that Rodgers has in the way that, you know, they didn't start out great the way um, he's expected to play this season. I mean, you kind of expected him to have a big night, and he did. I mean, they lit him up pretty easily. So that wasn't a big surprise. Uh, the other game I wanted to talk about, really, uh, the, there was Oakland versus Denver. The big thing was McGloin goes down, so now you've got Connor Cook as the backup. Just not surprising. Oakland, I think, had a chance to secure the number two seed if they had won that game, but instead they lose, Kansas City wins, and so with that, Kansas City ends up getting the first round by, they in, they win the West, and so now Oakland has to play this week, go on the road. That's really all that happened there. And I think the biggest game last week in terms of a results standpoint was the Washington-New York game. So Washington basically... Barring a tie in the Detroit-Green Bay game, if they won, they were in the playoffs. So win and you're in. That's all you've got to do. New York has no incentive to play. If they win, they lose. It doesn't matter. They're going to be the fifth seed. All Washington has to do is beat a team at home that has nothing to play for. And they can't even do that. New York gets up 10-0 pretty easily in the first half. Washington gets the ball back with 39 seconds left, with three timeouts. They've got a chance to add points, and there's just atrocious clock management by Jay Gruden. They end up with they end up wasting a bunch of time, and at the end of the half, they end up kicking a 57-yard field goal that's got like no chance. So they blow that opportunity. They go into the half down 10-0, and then after after that point, New York basically pulls everyone out. They stop. They don't even try to move the ball. They're just handing it off, trying to eat the clock. They don't care if they score. They don't care if they win. And Washington still can't do anything. So you've seen Josh Norman and Odell Beckham get into it before. Like, every time these guys match up, there's always something. And usually what happens is Josh Norman, you know, starts. He's a really physical guy. He's basically fouling people fouling the receivers on every single play. Every time he, every time there's a snap, he's shoving somebody, he's beating them up down the field, and that's just how he plays. And he gets mad, you know, if anybody throws a flag, he's furious about it, even though he's committing a foul on every single play. So usually what happens is Norman is able to play physical with Beckham. Beckham gets frustrated, loses his cool, and then starts taking shots at the guy. What is it? This was a complete role reversal because Beckham was just out there running around, looked completely cool. Norman ends up t ends up getting penalties, just looks completely out of sorts, just looks like like acting like a petulant child. It was just completely baffling what he was doing out there. So you had that going on. And then Kirk Cousins ends up with two interceptions in the game. Now the first the first one wasn't his fault. Right, they're in the red zone. He turns, tries to throw, throw her out to the left side. His receiver falls down and it's picked off. I mean, that's not on him. The second one, with the game on the line, down a field goal, he needs to win, needs to drive to win the game, or at least at least get him into field goal range so you can get into overtime because New York's basically going to roll over at that point. He steps up into the pocket and makes an. Awful decision. Just throws it straight to Rodgers Cromartie, picks him off, 
And that's basically it. And then the, the game ends on this just absurd, like, they're trying to run like a lateral play. And it just, the I think it was Jordan Reed ends up throwing it back, bounces right to a New York player, and he runs it in like it, as the clock expires. But it was like the perfect way to like to end Washington's season was just on this ridiculous play. So this is the second chance that Cousins has had with a win. They basically get into the playoffs. He had the Monday night game against Carolina, and he was awful. Like his numbers end up looking okay because he threw the ball a bunch of times. But if you just look at the performance, it's not good. And the thing is, with Cousins, a lot of times, you look at the Dallas game on Thanksgiving Day, he ends up with really good numbers because he, he's got a bunch of yards, but basically Dallas is up 11 points, and he's sitting there dumping the ball off to get down the field. And all he's doing, like Dallas is just like sitting back saying, you're not going to beat us with the big play. And he just, I mean, he takes the check down over and over and over again. And you can't do that in the NFL and win. So his numbers look fine. But the results, he can't get the win when he needs it. So this is the guy that Washington wants to tie their future to. Like, Washington has the second best, according to Sports Illustrated, Washington has the second best supporting cast in terms of, like, weapons. They've got... Deshaun Jackson, who's a great downfield threat. Uh, they've got Pierre Garçon, who's a good physical receiver. They've got Jamison Crowder, who's had a great season. And then they've got Jordan Reed, who outside of Gronkowski has got to be the best tight end in the league. I mean, he's injured a lot just because he's a big physical guy, and that's I mean that tends to happen. You see it with Gronk. But, I mean, he's when he's on the field, he's a monster. He's, like, impossible to cover because he's just so big. He's so athletic, so fast. Like Defenses have trouble with those kind of guys. And you see it with Gronkowski, and you see it with Reed. And Cousins really is elevated by a supporting, supporting cast more than they elevate him. I wanted to talk about that because that kind of moves me into the news section of the show. So right now, Cousins, Cousins will be a free agent for the second year in a row. And according to, I, I don't want to call it a report, but his name's Corey Joel, and I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, on Twitter, was suggesting, he was not really reporting, but suggesting, whatever whatever that means. I guess it's just, just guessing. Um, suggesting that Cousins, if he was able to go into free agency, could get $90 million guaranteed and $26 million a year, which is just an absurd number. So right now the situation has just been, you know, talked about in sort of a binary, binary, um, like a binary way. There's two outcomes, basically, that people are talking about. Well, Washington could, you know, could sign him to a long-term deal or they could franchise him. And basically they franchise him. He gets another one-year contract. And it's the estimate right now is about $24.5 million. It's fully guaranteed, counts straight up $24.5 million against the cap, and that would be it. But there's actually another option that hasn't really been mentioned. Um, Kian Fahey, uh, at, at Kian A-F, C-I-A-N-A-F, who's one of my, one of my favorite Twitter follows, um, has brought this up, and I think, it's a, I think this is, he's probably right. This really is the best option for Washington, is there's also 
a non-exclusive franchise tag. So basically how that works is it's similar to the franchise tag. You ta Washington tags them. They have a period to negotiate with them. I believe the window closes uh, It's usually around mid-July. You saw this happen with Des Bryant when he, when he was a free agent. He was tagged, and I think, and Demarius Thomas with the Broncos. So both players, you're, you're hit with the franchise tag when free agency starts, and then you have up until that date in mid-July to negotiate like a long-term contract. So, and if you don't by that date, then you play the one year under the franchise tag. So the non-exclusive franchise tag differs in this way. So under the franchise tag, only that team can negotiate with the player. Under the non-exclusive tag, other teams can negotiate with, would be able to ne negotiate with Cousins and sign him to an offer sheet. Now, assuming that a team signs Cousins to an offer sheet, then the Grizzlies, or the, the Redskins would have a certain period, sorry, I'm watching the Golden State Grizzlies game while I'm recording, but the, the Redskins would have a certain period of time to match. And so if the Redskins choose to match, then they just match the offer, and that's it. Cousins remains with Washington on the contract that, that Cousins basically negotiated with another team. But if the Redskins choose not to match, they say, well, that's too much money. So they basically let free agency set the market, but then they have a right of first refusal, basically. But if the, if the Redskins choose not to match, then the team that signed Cousins actually has to give up to Washington two first-round picks. So basically, you're letting Cousins go, and you're basically trading Cousins for two first-round picks without him costing you any more money against the cap. And so basically, I mean, Washington gets something out of Cousins even without committing long-term money to him, and you can use those picks to, like, to go look for your quarterback of the future. So really, if Washington, like, if McLuhan doesn't think that Cousins is a guy, and I'm, I'm not convinced that he is, um, and some other people aren't in spite of the stats that he has, like really the best option for Washington would be just to to use the non-exclusive tag because then another team comes along and, I mean, we've seen the way that quarterbacks are always overpaid for in this league. Like someone is going to, someone, if you put the non-exclusive tag on him, someone is going to come and try to try to sign Cousins. They think that they'll, that he's the answer for him. And so Washington would get two first-round picks out of it. And, and if you signed him to a contract and then tried to trade him, you're not going to get that kind of value for him. So really, if you're, if you're looking at it from Washington's standpoint, I really think that's the way to go about it. Now, I also wanted to talk about we've got six coaching vacancies opened up. I wanted to kind of go over. There's Jacksonville uh, finally moved on from Gus Bradley. For some reason, they decided to do that in the middle of the season. Not really sure why. Uh, the Rams, of course, fired Jeff Fisher. You know, everyone was kind of surprised considering they had just agreed to an extension. San Francisco let go of Chip Kelly after a year. Gary Kubiak stepped down in Denver uh, due to health concerns. Buffalo finally got rid of the Ryan brothers in that circus. And then San Diego... Uh, let go of Mike McCoy. So I wanted to kind of talk about the coaching vacancies just real um, just real briefly. I kind of wanted to go through them and rank them in terms of which ones I thought were, you know, the best opportunities for 
candidates. All right, so first, Denver, Denver seems pretty clearly the best opportunity right now. They've got a great defense. Uh, the offensive line could use a little bit of work. I wanted, let's see what their run offense is ranked. And the offense has just not been great this year. I really don't know what you're doing at quarterback there. I think Simeon's probably a capable backup in the league. I don't think that you can – I know Denver basically won – they won the Super Bowl based solely on the strength of their defense because Peyton Manning wasn't giving them anything at that point. Osweiler was Osweiler. Uh, so I think they need to find – an upgraded quarterback, but other than that, they've got some pretty good pieces. You probably need to upgrade the offensive line, like I said. Um, maybe do something because the running game just hasn't hasn't been great this year either. Um, that may be a function of the, that's probably partially a function of the offensive line, pro, uh, partially a function of the quarterback position. I don't know from what I've seen of Paxton Lynch right now. He just he he's not ready at all. Um, so, but I still think. Based on what they've got, they've got John Elway, who's done a really good job of putting the team together. So that's probably the best vacancy right now. Second, I have San Diego. Um, there's still some question marks there. You don't know where you're going to be playing next year, uh, if they're going to be moving up to L.A. to join the Rams. Rivers is getting older, so you're going to, pretty shortly, you're going to be um, in desperate need of finding a quarterback. Uh, but the... They have a lot of young talent. They've got Melvin Gordon. They've got some decent receivers and some decent weapons. And the defense was ranked eighth in DVOA this year. And so they've got a lot of great young talent on the defensive side of the ball. So they can be an elite defense pretty shortly. You just really need to, I mean, really just need to find a quarterback and fix up the offense. Uh, third is Jacksonville, or I have Jacksonville ranked third. Uh, they've got a decent young defense, 13th in DVOA. They seem to be trending upwards. They've got a couple of good wide receivers in Allen Hearns and Allen Robinson. don't know why I couldn't think of his name. Um, so I think there's some talent there on the offensive side of the ball. I don't know what they're going to do at running back. It's kind of just They just kind of cycled guys in and out between Chris Ivory and... Uh, the other guy whose name I cannot think of right now. And so they've got they've got some talent. Um, the real question there, again, is just the quarterback position. The guy who comes in, I'm not sure. Like, the Jaguars spent the number three pick on Bortles, so you're probably going to think their GM or, like, their front office is going to want whoever they bring in to try to fix Bortles, and I don't know if that's possible at this point. He's really regressed this year. Fourth, I have Buffalo. They've got a great power run game, but the way they handled the Tyrod Taylor situation has just been a mess. So trying to att attract talent after you screwed Tyrod Taylor out of a massive amount of guaranteed money by playing EJ Manuel um, just isn't a good look. So that's going to make them a much less attractive destination in free agency. And I, don't, I honestly don't know. I mean, Taylor's been pretty decent for them this season. I don't know why they want to move on from him anyway. I think they're just trying to save money. Um, there's also the weather. Don't necessarily think of that as very attractive. 
fifth is San Francisco. They've got no talent. Their owner is absolutely insane. And then they they got rid of Balky and um, but the problem is for the second year in a row. So they fired Harbaugh, who went to Michigan, and then they brought in Jim Tonsula, who just who you as soon as he was hired, he knew he was going to be gone within like a year. And so they fired him like everyone expected. And, and then they brought in Chip Kelly. And then Chip Kelly, with no talent, was at least able to win two games, which, I mean, based on their roster, is kind of an accomplishment, even though both wins came against the Rams. So, I mean, he didn't have anything to work with, and so they fired him anyway. So it's going to be really hard, based on that, to convince anybody to want to go there. and just don't see, like... Apart from whether, like, what, uh, like, what is what does that job offer other than just a head coaching position? And you know, like, you have no security. You have no idea whether you're going to be fired after one year. So, and but the good thing is they at least have their draft picks, which brings us to the last one, last, like the sixth, like the worst possible job opening, which is L.A. Uh, they traded all. Obviously, Jeff Fisher traded up all of these draft picks to go get Jared Goff. And the guy, like, so far, he doesn't look like he can play at all. Like, the guy looks like a lost cause out there. He's just terrible. And so the, the defense is mediocre. And basically, you have no way to rebuild because you don't have any draft picks right now. So you you have no talent and you have no way to upgrade that talent. So it's just... Just a complete mess. I just don't know how they're going to convince anybody to, to go out there. I think it's also a little surprising. We um, There were a couple of surprise non-fires, I guess, guess you'd call them. Um, Cincinnati decided to stick with Marvin Lewis, and I honestly think that's probably the right move. He's taken them to the playoffs pretty frequently, even though they just haven't been able to get past the first round. I think a lot... I think that sustained success, even if the ceiling hasn't really been as high as, you know, fans would have wanted. Uh, just being able to get to the playoffs is at least some sort of success, and I think I don't think uh, you should take that too lightly. Uh, Cleveland actually managed to. I, I'm really glad that Cleveland didn't fire Hugh Jackson. I mean, they went one and fifteen, but Jackson seemed. I, Jackson seems like a good coach, and I'd like to see what he can do if they just give him time to, you know, put together a roster, actually build some talent. It seems like, I'm, I mean, it looked like they might be, with the win a couple of weeks ago, it looked like they might actually fall out of the number one overall pick because San Francisco was would have actually had the first pick if they had lost, if they'd finished with the same record, so... They managed to hold on to that, but I think Hugh Jackson's going to be a good coach. He just needs time, um, so I'm glad Cleveland actually held on to someone. Um, Chicago was going to hold on to um, Jim Fox, and the Jets are keeping Todd Bowles, which seems like a terrible decision. And then the Colts are also sticking with Chuck Pagano because I'm... I have no answer. Him, and even more than him, Grigson, just their GM is awful. I think the, I think Pagano's bad, and I think Grigson is actually worse. So I'm really surprised that 
you know, Jim Irsay just hasn't, the mad tweeter hasn't gone on and just and fired the guy, fired both of them. All right, so now that we've covered news, let's move on to picks. Uh, let's get to talking about this week's games. Uh, the first, the first game is the worst game in the history of the NFL playoffs. We got Connor Cook, a rookie quarterback who was just two weeks ago was backing up Mac McGloin against Brock Osweiler, who was benched in the middle of the season after being handed a seventy-two million dollar contract. So, it's just a terrible quarterback matchup. Um, right now, the line that I've got is Houston, favored by three and a half. I'm t- leaning toward Houston on this one. Um, this team, these teams matched up uh, earlier in the season on Monday Night Football in Mexico City, and Oakland ended up winning that game. But really, Houston probably should have won it. I think there were a couple of close calls. You had the DeAndre Hopkins. Uh, out of bounds call where it didn't look like he was out of bounds. It look, looked like they uh, took away a touchdown from Houston on that. And then also there was a third and one rush that was marked short that O'Brien didn't challenge. And then the fourth and one looked like he might have Houston might have picked it up as well. But when they reviewed it, they wouldn't change the call. Um, so just a, some calls went Oakland's way. Um, Houston looked like they actually should have won that game. So, and actually, and honestly, that game was probably the best game that Osweiler played all season. He actually looked semi competent, which should, that should tell you a lot about Oakland's defense because they're not very good. So, right now, Oakland's defense is ranked 23rd overall in terms of DVOA. They're 18th against the run and 25th against the pass. And it's basically just Khalil Mack, Bruce Ir- uh, Irvin, and, you know, a bunch of scrubs. They, the bright side for Oakland is the fact that they'll be getting uh, the rookie, rookie safety back from West Virginia. Uh, I'm going to have to look up his name. So the Raiders will be getting back Carl Joseph. And so... With Joseph out, the Raiders have been one of the worst pass defenses in the league. But when Joseph has been in, they've actually allowed one of the lowest QBRs in the league. Um, I actually think the lowest QBR in the league. Barnwell had something on this, and I can't remember the exact numbers. But basically, since Carl Joseph went out, when Carl Joseph has been out, he's had, he's had turf toe. And so when he was out, they've been allowing one of the worst QBRs against or I guess one of the depends on how you look at it. So the quarterbacks are performing really well against the Raiders pass defense when, when Joseph has been out. But when Joseph is in, the QBR number is like around 50, which is the lowest in the league by five points. So they're getting him back. I'm not sure how explosive you can really expect him to be. Just, I mean, turf toe, a lot of times, even if you come back a little bit ahead of schedule, then um, you're not still not able to plan and be as explosive. So it'll be interesting to see how effective he is um, on the field, but that's that's got to be a big boost for the Raiders. Um, overall, their defense just really isn't that good. Um, Houston, the real, probably the best, the, the matchup here is probably going to be Houston's defense, uh, seventh in D- DVOA against a rookie quarterback. Cook will be making his first start. 
I don't know how that's going to affect things. Um, you kind of saw early in the season, Carson Wentz, the first three games when teams, Carson Wentz didn't play in the preseason. The first three games, he was basically lighting the league on fire because nobody really had any tape on him. So if Cook comes in and they don't really know, you know how to exploit tendencies or anything, that might actually play to Oakland's advantage. But Houston's got a really, really good defense. So I expect them to be ready, and that's going to be Houston's front seven versus Oakland's offensive line is going to be a great matchup because Houston has a really, really great front seven. Um, John Simon and Jadavian Clowney are both just really, really good. Um, I think Clowney doesn't get – he's still sort of got that label as a bust just because the sack numbers aren't huge. But if you watch the tape on him, he's just like – he's blowing up offensive linemen, getting into the backfield, especially against the run. He's been a monster. And so he's looked great, and they don't even have – they still don't have J.J. Watt, and they won't have him for this game. But Houston's front seven will – I mean, they should have a pretty – present a pretty good challenge to the Oakland offensive line. And Oakland's offensive line, Dallas probably has – I mean, everyone talks about Dallas as the best offensive line in the league. But Oakland's is probably – I mean, probably up there with them, probably number two – or number three, and they're really good. The problem is that Oakland's going to be without their left tackles, so couldn't. So Houston may be able to exploit that and get pressure on Cook. And if that happens, if they're able to to put pressure on him consistently, I expect I expect Houston to win pretty easily. Um, Osweiler had a decent game in Mexico City, so I really don't know that I expect him to be as atrocious as he was during the regular season. Um, so I just, I think Houston should be able to put up some points. It really just comes down to how bad is Osweiler and what is Cook able to do against the Texans defense. So right now I'm picking Houston at home, um, even though they're, even though the line is three and a half. The next game, the Saturday night game, the, Detroit Lions are getting eight at Seattle. The Lions have sort of, over the past few weeks, have been exposed as frauds. I mean, we kind of you kind of see that. A lot of people were on Matt Stafford as MVP based on the fact that he was coming up with these big late-game drives to win games. But the fact that they needed those game-winning drives in the fourth quarter basically just means that he was playing terribly for the rest of the game. So... Ever since then, they've lost their last three games. They lost to the Giants. They lost to the Cowboys. They lost to the Packers. Um, and their defense is just atrocious. So that's going to be the, the biggest, the hardest thing for them to overcome. Russell Wilson really hasn't looked like himself much this year. I know he was dealing with um, ankle issues early in the season. And he started to look better later in the year. But I'm not sure how good that offense is going to be. Um, It'll help that they're going against Detroit's worst-ranked defense. Um, then Seattle's defense, though, has had like problems of its own. Like Ever since Earl Thomas went out, uh, according to Barnwell, with Earl Thomas, the Seahawks' defense allowed 7 TDs, had 10 interceptions, and a 77.8 passer rating against. Uh, after Earl Thomas went down, they've allowed nine touchdowns, had one interception, and allowed a 99.5 passer rating against, which is just a massive change. I think someone said, I think I read it somewhere that 
since Thomas has gone down, they're like 30th in the league in DVOA. So ever since they lost him, he's just been, I mean, their defense has just been, just gotten shredded. So it'll, they Seattle might be able to still get pressure with their front four. But if Stafford's able, Stafford's still got that issue with his throwing hand, but if he's able to sit back in the pocket and find open guys, the I think the Lions will be able to put some points on the board. The question will come down to, are they able to limit what Seattle is able to do on the offensive side of the ball? And that's going to be a little bit tougher, but Seattle's offense is just, like their offensive line has been bad. Last week, and I know it was into the season, but Seattle really couldn't run the ball against a bad San Francisco front. So San Francisco was 31st in the league in DVOA against the run, and Seattle only managed 87 yards against them. It was just a bad performance. And so they they just really have not been, been, um, been good on offense this season. So I'm taking Detroit plus eight. I still think it'll be a stretch for... Detroit to win this game, but since given, I think basically the thought for Vegas is a lot of people still put a lot of stock in the Seahawks at home. Um, I just this season they've had they've still had some struggles, and maybe maybe they're just sleepwalking through the regular season and they'll turn it on for the playoffs. I, that's a possibility, maybe an outside possibility. But really, I, I think this game will be closer than a lot of people expect. So I'm taking the Lions plus eight, but I still think Seattle wins this game. All right, for the other AFC matchup, we've got Miami getting 10 at Pittsburgh. This one, for me, is really the hardest to peg. Uh, Miami won 30-15 to 15 earlier in the season. Um, Miami is 14th in offensive DVOA, 19th in defense. Pittsburgh has the number eight offense in terms of DVOA in the 11th defense. Um, I think the really real question comes to comes down to how will Moore play. He's been a pretty capable backup. Um, since Tannehill got hurt, they've kind of minimized how often he throws the ball. But he's put up decent numbers. He wasn't great against the Patriots. But other than that, he's been pretty good. Um, feels like Pittsburgh for, for Pittsburgh... Depends on what kind of game you get from Roethlisberger. But if he comes out on fire, then I mean, then they could put Miami away pretty early. But if not, if they let Miami hang around, there's a chance that Miami could pull off the upset. But, I mean, it's a lot of points. I'm taking Miami plus 10. I don't have a lot of confidence in that pick just because um, just I don't really know what kind of performance. I don't know how well the Dolphins will be able to run the ball. It looks like Pittsburgh's defense, a lot of people seemed kind of down on them early in the season, but they've gotten better as the season's worn on. Um, and so they're 11th in the league in DVOA, so it's not a bad defense right now. Um, so I have a little trouble pegging this game, but I'm taking Miami plus 10, mainly just based on the fact that 10 points is a lot. I think Miami will be able to cover that. Um, and then the best matchup of the weekend is the Giants getting five points at Green Bay and this is the best game of the weekend and it's not particularly close really I'm taking the points here just because I expect the Giants defense to keep this game close so Denver's defense was number one in DVOA 
they were number one against the pass and number 21 against the run. So basically, you could you could run against the Broncos defense. So the the Broncos defense had a great pass defense, like incredibly elite pass defense, and then a below average run defense. The Giants defense, on the other hand, finished second. They're third against the run and fourth against the pass. So the the Broncos defense was which was ranked ahead of them was great at one thing and below average at another thing. The Giants defense is way above average at both. And so I think so Rodgers was able to put on a pretty good show against the uh the Lions last week and he's he's done really well. He he put on a show against the Vikings defense which the Vikings had been great all season. They actually finished the <coughs> excuse me finished the year ninth in the in the league um but i think the giants the giants defense presents a lot of problems that neither of the that the other teams that rogers has faced just haven't presented yet and i think rogers struggled in their first matchup against the giants this year so i actually i think the giants can pull off the upset i think i've really got green bay by a field goal here just five points is just too many right now um it's also the big question for Green Bay, other than what Rodgers does against that defense, is what will their defense be able to do to slow down Odell Beckham? And their secondary is not very good. So I would really just, if you're Green Bay, I don't know why you don't, you should probably just throw three guys at Odell Beckham Jr. and just make sure that he's covered and then just let Eli try to beat you with someone else because that's what they're really going to have trouble do, doing. It's like if if Eli's able to get the ball to Odell, then Green Bay, I expect him to just have a field day. Um, Green Day secondary is just not great. They've given up a lot of yards over the middle. I think they're one of the worst teams covering the middle of the field, and I expect them to just. I expect New York to just try to get Odell the ball on crossing routes and just let him run just at full speed. So I think that's that's going to be the issue. It's really Manning has not been good just all season, and I don't really think he's a good quarterback right now. I don't really think he's a quarter as great a quarterback as he is for his career as people make him out to be, but that's a discussion for another time. So the real question will be if like if Green Bay can try to prevent if if Manning has trouble getting the ball to ODB, then that may be um, may cause the Giants offense to you know, bogged down. But other than that, I, I expect them to try to get Beckham involved early and often. Um, I think I would take New York to pull the upset if this game was in New York, but I still think Green Bay is a tough place to play, and I think I think Green Bay will end up winning in a three-point game. All right, thanks for listening. This has been the four-minute offense. We'll be back next week to talk about these matchups, what happened and we'll get set for the divisional round. Thanks.